Yo, this is Pastor Tito here, and this is the Revolutionary Podcast. Part of the revolutionary lifestyle that we desire requires revolutionary thinking. And again, when I say that, we're talking about things that we purposefully revolve our lives around. What we revolve our lives around, okay, is what impacts and really just makes a difference. It forms us, it shapes us, it inspires us. And so I want to piggyback on the message from last week from Dr. Hemby and showing how that connects today. There was something that Hemby was talking about last week, and he was encouraging us to talk to ourselves in a healthy way, right? And he was helping us to understand what are the things you should say. And he was helping us to, uh, really, all of those three things were all tied into God's word, speaking of, right? We need to remind ourselves of the truth of God, because the truth of God is transformational. The more we hold on to it, the more we abide in that word, it, it does something in us, it forms us. It shapes us. Jesus talked about that. Paul mentioned that. It's, and it's very evident. And so as we're talking about this transformational truth, I want you to remember that. And because uh, there's something that we're going to look at today because it's going to be an important thing to also remind ourselves with when times get a little um, weird, tougher, I guess. I'll say it that way. Um, but we're talking about transformational truths, I, I want to talk about two types of changes. Have, do you know that scientifically there's only two types of changes in the world. You have reversible changes and irreversible changes. All right, those are the two. Everything that changes and is transformed in one of two categories. And it's kind of self-explanatory. Reversible is what? If it changes, it can change back. That's all that means. So for example, water. Water can change into what forms? Ice, right? What else? Liquid. So we got solid, liquid, and gas, right? Now we're going into science now. And so, right, those three things. It changes into all those forms, but does it still remain water? Yes, it does, right? And it can go from ice to liquid back to ice again. It can keep changing no matter what. So that's one. Another kind of reversible change is uh, weight loss, right? You can uh, gain 30 pounds, lose 30 pounds. It's still you, right? Depending on maybe, you know, you may, depending on, you'll be happier one versus the other, I guess, depending on what you're trying to gain. But uh, that's it, right? So you can change a little bit, but you can change back. Irreversible is exactly that. It does not change. Once it's changed, that's it. So for example, some of you guys, uh, when it comes to height, right? Once you grow, none of you at this point, you are the same size that when you were born, right? You grew. Um, you're not gonna wake up tomorrow, you know, whatever, like nine inches or something like that, right? That's kind of, that would be weird. Could you imagine if the world was like that? So you've changed and you're staying that way. So that's one thing. But also when it comes to nature, for example, burning things, all right? Burning things. If something is burned, like wood, and it goes to ash, can ash become wood again? It can't. That's irreversible because it is now changed molecularly, all right? Chemically, it has changed. Uh, food is another one, all right? Anybody like to cook uh, online? Shout out what, you, what your favorite recipe is. Uh, anybody like cooking in the house? Who's the cook in the house? Some people? Yes, no? I know we got some aspiring ones, right, and whatnots. Oh, yeah, these guys, yeah, they, they go at it on the, that rib challenge was dangerous. Um, that y'all did that one time. But anyways, now let me tell you something. When you cook something, can you uncook it again? Think about it, right? No, 
Once you cook it, you can't uncook it. It's it. It's because it has changed. Irreversible. Okay? That's what that is. Now, what would you do? Let me ask you this question. What would you do? What would your reaction be if somebody could reverse the irreversible? Like if in front of you, they saw wood turn to ash and they made the ash back to wood. That'd be crazy, right? Or they, 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 they took a cooked meal and they were able to uncook it and divide it into its individual ingredients all over again. What would your reaction be to somebody who could do that? What would you call a person like that? Special, sorcerer, <laughs> right? Right, is that what you said? Right? Uh, a sorcerer, maybe because that's not normal. That is supernatural. That's God level stuff, right? Only God can reverse an, something that is irreversible, right? Because that's what makes him God. Well, we're going to look at today a text in the book of Acts that shows us an incredible God that actually does reverse the irreversible. And he shows us in a very, very unique way. And we're going to touch on something that um, a Bible verse by the end that is a controversial one. And so we're going to get to that one at the very end. I'll save it for last. So let's go ahead and let's read the story. We're going to read it straight through and we're going to walk you, walk you through some stuff. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Acts 9, 32 and 35. Uh, it's also on your notes, digital notes and all those things. But let's read this short story together. As Peter was traveling from place to place, he also came down to the saints, the believers, the Christians who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for how long? Eight years. Okay. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. And immediately he got up. So all who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. All right, so that's going to be our short story for the day. Now, let's kind of walk through that. So we're going to look at a lot of different verbs, all right? Particularly six different things that are happening. And Peter is uh, the most active. He does three things. The first one Peter is doing is Peter went, right? And where did he go? It says here he was traveling from place to place. He goes down to a place called Lydda. This was a town literally just a few miles off of Jerusalem. And the reason why he is going place to place is because he is visiting all of the Christians there. It had been years since Jesus had resurrected, years since he had gone up, and the gospel and the message has been spreading throughout that whole land. And so Peter is going place to place to visit specifically the who? The saints. Why? Because he had a calling in his life and God told him, if you love me, three times, if you love me, you got to do one thing, feed my sheep. Jesus had this conversation with Peter on a beach, literally uh, after the resurrection. If you love me, feed my sheep. And so Peter knew that his ultimate responsibility, one amazing way to love God, is to make sure his sheep are fed. And so that's what he's doing. And guys, that's a good thing for us as well. I don't know if you've ever struggled and wondered, how can you love a tangible, an intangible God that you just can't run up and hug? How can you love God in that way? Well, it actually, he says it right there. If you love me, feed my sheep. If you love me, feed on his word. That's what we're doing right now, guys. And so I'm just putting out grass. I'm, I'm just hoping you, you, know, you, you eat. So I'm putting out grass. That's what we're doing right now. And so it's important. Why? Because it's the truth of God that helps. It's the love of God, the expression of who he is. That is food to our souls. It's food to our souls. And so it is a way of loving God in an amazing way. And so here... He goes to this place, and this is actually Peter's second missionary journey. 
So there's two recorded missionary trips. We talked about one a month ago, if you weren't with us. Uh, he went to Samaria, got to some really cool things. Now he's on his second trip. And Peter is about to open a door that Paul, the Apostle Paul, later is going to walk through. And so the book of Acts actually focuses on Peter the first half, and then it goes to Paul for the rest. And so, which is really cool to see how God uses multiple people in different phases and stages. And so Peter here, this missionary trip, we're actually going to break it down over the next three weeks. So uh, Lydda was stop one. Next week is going to be Joppa and then the other one. So every moment is something amazing that God does. And so we're going to slow down and see it. So the first thing he does is he goes, he goes, right? He went traveling place to place. He's meeting with Christians, but then he came across somebody, right? Y'all caught that? He found someone. As he went, what was the next thing he do? He found. And who did he find? This guy, right? And yes, now we don't know if it was like an accident. We don't know if he was stumbling, you know, he was having a conversation. He walks by and there's this dude. Or we don't know if Peter had heard about this story and was his story and was led by the spirit to go hunting, looking for this man. But apparently he found him. And it was a certain man. Some translations say a certain man. So Peter must have known, hey, I'm looking for this guy. Where is he? So that's kind of what was implied. Now, all we know is what we have right here. This is all we know about the dude. What do we know? He's a man. How long? And he's what? He's been paralyzed for how long? Eight years. Now, there's, this is what we know for sure. And there's one thing that we could assume, and you know, rightfully assume, that this man is not a believer. He's not a saint. There's something that could lead towards that assumption, which is an important one, okay? So he's not a believer. Something happened to him. <clears throat> now, we don't know what. All we know is that he was not born in this condition. If uh, you guys are, some of you that have been with us for a little bit, uh, we talked about earlier, Peter did something similar to this paralyzed man or paraplegic, really, that was, um, he had been this way for 40 years and he had been born in this condition. So we talked about that and God did something amazing in his life. He was born this way and he turned him around and he was born again. But he wasn't born this way. He's a full-blown man and something happened either an accident that led him to be paralyzed or he contracted some kind of a disease that led to his paralysis. But all we know, we can rightfully assume that this man used to be an able-bodied person and now he's disabled. He cannot do anything for himself. Y'all see that? So that's, I mean, I know that that can be a big struggle for some of us, right? I and mean, maybe we know some people. We have uh, uh, an individual, a former Green Beret, that is a part of our church. It's happened to him. I'm an amazing warrior, sniped in the neck. And he's been, uh, uh, ever since, he's been different, right? And let me ask you a question. If you've been paralyzed and you haven't done anything for eight years, what is your physical condition more than likely going to look like? Not a good one, right? Uh, that's called the atrophy, right? Muscles atrophy. If you don't use your muscles for long, then you're just going to wither, right? You're just going to uh, become frail. Eight years of doing nothing. Eight years of not able to do anything. And here's a man, especially fellas, you know, we know we can be a little prideful and we get a sense of, but in a good way, like we take pride in our work, right? That we're contributing, that we're doing. Could you imagine if you were, you know, fine and then out of nowhere, you're just, you can't do anything for yourself other people. You have to depend on anybody else, everybody, to do even the simplest things for you. And so this is what this man is going through. He found this man. Something traumatic or tragic happened to him, and he hasn't been the same since that moment. Now, I bring that up because we've all been there. How many times have we ever, and maybe you were growing up, and you were one way, and then something happened to you, 
you did something, you said something, somebody did something, somebody said something, and it was so traumatic you've never been the same again, all right? Maybe it was an emotional one. Maybe it was a physical one, right? I mean, for a lot of people, sometimes, you know, there can be something like divorce or the death of a loved one or you lost the job or this or that or maybe you were bullied in school and you, you grew up happy, but then you went to middle school and didn't survive, right? That's a lot of people that really struggle with their identity, right? They don't, a lot of people don't make it out of middle school good. And so, right, that happens to us. We go into this world and, you know, we can be one way, but then something happens, and it marks us emotionally, mentally, and we carry these burdens for the rest of our lives and we are never the same again. And a lot of times, I know I've been there, and you begin to sit and wonder, am I ever gonna, can I, can I learn to trust somebody again? Can I learn to love again? Can, can I, I miss the old me. There was something about me and I am not the same. Y- y'all tracking everybody, does that make, does that make sense? We've all been there? Yes or no, I'm not the only one. I know I'm not the only one. That would be weird if I'm just like, okay, we got to pray for the pastor then. Oh my gosh, what's going on with him? Okay, so that's, that's happened. So what did Peter tell somebody who, well, what did Peter do when he found him? This person in this condition. Well, Peter went, he found, and he spoke. What did he say? He says, he calls him by name, Ananias. Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed right? Look at this first part. The thing that he spoke was truth, right? I love that he spoke, and he says this phrase again, Jesus Christ, or some translations, Jesus the Christ. That phrase, guys, means that he is the anointed one, the son of God, the Messiah. This is not just his last name. That is crazy. It's not a stigma. You know, it wasn't Mary and Joseph Christ, and they had a baby, and then named him Jesus Christ. Christ was a Hebrew word that meant Messiah, anointed one, the Son of God. And so when he is saying Jesus Christ, he's putting weight on that name. Y'all feel me? He's putting truth. He is declaring the truth of God to this man. Jesus is not just some teacher. Jesus is not just some guy. He wasn't just a good dude that did some good stuff. No, he is God. He is our Messiah. He is Lord. And so he says, Jesus Christ, he heals you. He's going to do something in your life. Peter is stepping back saying, but I, this isn't me. Notice that he's saying, I heal you in the name of Jesus. No, he doesn't go there, right? He doesn't do that. No, no shade on people who talk like that. But I'm just saying, I just I don't know why that came out. All right, so um, Jesus heals you. Not I heal you in Jesus' name. And that's interesting because, again, Peter wants Ananias to know, listen, this is God. God is about to do something. He is working in your life, and it's him, not me. It's him. He is pointing him to Jesus. And then he makes this truth statement. Jesus is Christ. Jesus is Lord. And then he gives him a response, an application. Get up and make your bed. And that's really a challenge to believe what I just said and receive it. All right. Now, this sounds like some of you today, maybe. All right. You woke up if you have kids in the house or a husband that was still there. And, hey, you know, get up, make your bed, right? What are you doing? And so this, this is a very familiar phrase, maybe triggering for some of you. Uh, I don't care how old you are. You know, I mean, you probably can still, you know, hear your mom. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I got to move, right? You just rip the blankets off. Anybody cruel like that? I do that to my kids, right? I rip the blankets off. I jump on them. You know, I'll do stuff like that. I'll beat them with their pillows. So I'll do whatever. And so, you know, I just have fun. Anyways. He tells him to get up and make his bed. And I love even just that. What did he ask him to do? He told him to do something that he couldn't do, right? He was paralyzed. He could not make his bed for eight years. He couldn't even do the simple thing of getting up. 
He couldn't even do a simple thing of making his own bed. Somebody had to do it for him for eight years. And so Peter tells this man, Jesus Christ heals you. Now, believe, react, respond. Faith always fo is followed by an action. It always it speaks to our actions in this way. And so when he is saying, get up and make your bed, he is literally telling him, believe. And show your belief through an act of faith. And I love even that phrase, make your bed. He asked this man to do something simple by faith. Literally, something simple, something small. And, uh, well, what happened? God, Peter found him. Uh, Peter went, he found, he spoke to him. And now what did Ananias do? Look at the verb here. What did he do? Oh, man, I lost it. What did he do? He got up immediately. All right, some of you are praying for that day, right? When your kids, oh, yes, mother, I'm right away. All right, here we go. Let's get going. And so immediately he got up. So this wasn't, uh, and, and the fact that it said immediately means, again, guys, you got to try to visualize this. Imagine, and we've all seen people who are very severely uh, disabled or handicapped, and we've all seen somebody with a frail body, right? We, we all know this image. We've seen this before. Imagine somebody with a frail body immediately go, and back to normal, just swell up in front of your eyes. All right, some of you would pass out, some of you would run and scream, and you know, because it was that radical. And so he believed in the statement that Jesus was the Messiah, and he goes to, he got up, and immediately restored like if nothing ever happened. And so what I love about this, and we're going to come back to this in a minute, is that what appeared for people to be permanent was not to God. This was a permanent paralysis. The fact that he was paralyzed for eight years shows, A, that this was not somebody faking it. I mean, that would be something. If somebody was in a ruse for eight years, I'm like, hey, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pretend to be paralyzed for eight years. You're going to come back later. You're going to pretend to heal me, and we're going to, like, take all their money, right? I mean, so, A, the fact that he was paralyzed for eight years shows that he was really paralyzed, really paralyzed. And the fact that um, you're going to see in a minute, he must have been known. He must have been known, and you'll see why in the next verse. And so his story was a sad one, was a tragic one. But uh, for many people, and the fact that, I'm sorry, here's what I'm going to say. The fact that it was eight years shows that he wasn't getting better. This was, a, this was an injury or a disease, whatever it was. And in eight years, no sign of improvement. So for a lot of people, this is permanent. But apparently for God, uh, not everything is permanent if God has something to say about it. If, if uh, not everything is permanent, God has something to say about it. So this is an amazing uh, truth to see here. And this really is going to invite us to respond and react to the same truth of God as well. Right? And so here we see the, the next verb. When he immediately got up, what happened? Well, everybody else who lived in that town and in the surrounding county. So this is, you can imagine Sharon as like, uh, you know, right now we're in Carrollwood where we are, and this is, uh, we're in Hillsborough County. And so Lytta was a town that was close to, very close to the, not all the way, but close to the coast. And Sharon was the coastal county, a coastal region. And so not only in Lytta, but apparently everyone here, they saw him. And what did they do? They turned to the Lord. So his story must have been a tragic one. It must have gotten around. Because when they all saw him, they know, wait a minute, we know you. We know you. We know what happened to you. We know your story. We've seen you around. What is this? How, what is going on here? What's going on? And this guy had become a walking miracle. And everyone who saw him 
did what? They didn't turn to Peter and said, oh, who is this man who healed you? No, who did they turn to? Jesus. Because remember, Peter from day one said, yo, this ain't me. God's going to do something in your life. If you don't believe it, receive it, boom. And so they turned to Jesus. And so this act right here, guys, this is something that Paul has done, and we've seen a couple of times now, where God goes to one person, God supernaturally heals this person in a crazy way. I mean, this isn't like some healings that we may see today. I've seen some stuff. Some of us have seen some stuff that it literally baffles science, right? I'm just like, how did this person survive this? Or how did this person recover from this? Or how did this happen? It's, you know, there's things that God does. But what God was doing here was just literally out of this world. It was insane to be able to see this. And these healings happened to confirm that Jesus was Lord. And so that's what all of this was for, is to confirm that Jesus was Lord. And so you would see this pattern of God does something amazing in one person's life, and now that becomes a catalyst for God to do things in other people's lives. And so here we are seeing something, again, something really cool going down. Everyone is, uh, everyone is turning to the Lord, and even that phrase, turn. If you're turning to something, that means you have to be turning away from something else, right? You know what we call this word? This is another way of saying repentance. This town, this region, they repented. And repentance is more than just, oops, I did it again, all right, to quote Britney Spears, all right? It is not that. And some people think that. Some people think oh, to repent of your sins. Some people think to repent of your sins is, is like a repeated apology. Repentance is not a repeated apology. Repentance has, comes with remorse. Y'all know remorse, right? Some of you. You know remorse. You got that one haircut and you immediately regretted it, right? That's remorse, right? I'm like, I got it. Now I, my hair, thank God, it's changeable. It's going to grow back, right? But still, you got to deal with it for however long. And so re repentance comes with remorse. Like you are, I mean, not just sick of it, but it really hits you. And you are really, really sorry, but not just sorry, but you're desperate. And so repentance actually is the word to change. To repent is literally to change directions. It's to change your mind. It's to say, I used to think this way. This is what I thought about God, but I changed my mind. You see that? This is who God is. I used to live this way, but I don't want to live this way anymore. That is evidence of repentance. There is a change that is happening, but there's a change that you desire to happen in your life. That's repentance. It is turning away from a life that is without God and turning now towards him where you now run after him that is what this that's what's happening here and so this is revival this is what's going on God did something in one person's life this person it's it's you know it's so amazing and what I love about even too this this whole thing was more than just notice it's like everybody we're not just talking about all the other sick people it's like oh Peter I got something wrong too bro I got this lump on my back of my neck can you help me like you know this is more than just sick people running. This is everybody. Because, see, this man, this man, when he put his trust in Jesus, this is why we can assume he was not a believer. He believed in his heart before he stood to his feet. And in fact, you can even say that God restored his soul before he restored his legs, before he restored his body. He restored his soul before he restored his body. And that's what happens, guys. When you put your trust in Jesus, there's something that happens on the inside that works its way out on the outside. That is how God changes us. Not from the outside in. He changes us from what? The inside. 
out. And so here we see all of this activity, but then we got one more. God is doing something, or God did something, not just in the life of one guy, but in everybody here. What did he do? We're going to put it up on the screen. It says this, God can reverse the irreversible. That's what he did. He reversed the irreversible. What medicine couldn't do, what doctors couldn't do, what the rehab couldn't do, what he couldn't do for himself, what he couldn't do for himself, God did it. He reversed what was irreversible. Because, again, that, that, would, that makes you a God. You know, if I could reverse, like I told you those examples earlier today, you would look at me a little differently, right? You would think something differently. Well, that's who he is. That's what he does. And in fact, there's these things that Jesus would do plenty of times. Jesus had a similar miracle one time. Some of you, if you know, you grew up in reading the Bible, you'll know the story. I'll give you a quick little uh, cliff notes. There was one time Jesus was walking around and he was teaching in somebody's house and four friends, four friends, four friends brought a, another friend who was a paraplegic, who couldn't walk. They couldn't get to Jesus because it was so crammed in the house. So they literally cut a hole in the roof, so desperate to get him to Jesus. They cut a hole in the roof, they lower him down like Mission Impossible style, right? And they bring him in the middle. And then Jesus leans over to this paraplegic man who was seeking to be healed. And Jesus said something crazy. He leans over and says, your sins are forgiven. Not legs walk. He says, your sins are forgiven. And that must have been a little shocking for some people because I'm like, Jesus, that's, can you look at the guy? That's not what we're here for. You know, can you not see his legs? I mean, you know, I'm tired of carrying this guy. You know, can you? He needs to contribute. All right. And so he says something, your sins are forgiven. Because see, so many times, guys, look, you and I, we go to Jesus and we think we need something. But in reality, he knows us better. We, we come asking with certain prayers and Jesus is willing to answer what we need, not necessarily always what we want. Y'all feel me? And so we got to be careful when we approach that. Are we humble enough to hear what he has to say? And so somebody murmured to himself, thought to himself, who is this guy? Wait a minute, what? Did you hear what he said? Who is this? Who is Jesus that he can forgive sins? Because, you know, only God can do that. Jesus perceived their thoughts and said out loud, oh, uh -huh. you don't think I can do that? So let me ask you a question. What is easier for me to tell him your sins are forgiven or for me to tell him get up and walk? and make your bed. Which one's easier? Which one's easier to prove? Obviously, right? If, if your sins are forgiven, how can you track that? How can you measure that? You can't take an x-ray. You can't do a body scan to be able to see, oh, okay, the sins are forgiven. Okay, it's checks. It's cleared, you know? But uh, if his legs are walking, oh yeah, we can tell immediately. So Jesus goes, just so you can see that I have the power to forgive sins. Hey, Chico, get up and walk and make your bed. Same thing that he told this guy. And immediately he got up, he was restored. He got up, made his bed, walked out, praising God. Because why? Because his legs worked? No, he was praising God because his soul was restored. Because he realized my sins are forgiven. If he can fix my body, that means he can fix my soul. You guys see that? And this is something that gets lost so many times in Jesus' miracles. Have you ever asked and wondered, why did Jesus heal people? Why did Peter and Paul and the apostles and very few people that they sent out, why did they heal people? Did God send us out so that we could, uh, so that we could never have any ailments ever? You know, it, did Jesus go do that because he felt bad that so-and-so was this and so was that? Oh, pobrecito, you got a tummy ache. Why don't you come here? Oh, you know, he got a headache. Oh, he got this. Come here, I'll help you. You know, oh, you broke your arm. Let me, let me fix it. You know, did Jesus go do that and heal people just to make their life easier? No. 
He did the physical to prove that if I can do this, then I can do what you can't see. See, Jesus healed the deaf, the physical ears. He opened up ears to show, listen, if I can open up a deaf ear, I can open up your spiritual ears so you can hear the voice of God and the truth of who God is. Why did Jesus heal blind people? Not because, you know, he wanted to put the optometrist out of business and stuff like that. Jesus healed people that, had, that were blind to show if I can heal a physically blind person, I can open up the eyes of the spiritually blind. If I can do the physical, I can do that. Jesus rose people from the dead. Why? So he can show off a cool little party trick, you know, and stuff like that? No. He says, if I can raise a physically dead person back to life, that means I can raise the spiritually dead to life again. And then, what did he do? The ultimate cap. He raised himself from the dead. Guys, if we're talking about irreversible changes, can anything be more irreversible than death? That was one we didn't talk about. Once you die, you die. Apparently. Not with Jesus, right? And that showed that if Jesus himself could go from dead and raise himself back to life, he can do all of this and some. It doesn't matter how permanent anything is in our life. The only thing permanent is the power and the promises of God. That is it. That is it. And so he reversed the irreversible to show that I, if I can do this in your body, I can do this to your soul. And here's that verse that a lot of people like to mess with. I, I think I might step on somebody's toes. I hope not. And I prayed about this to make sure I'm going to say it right. Years later, Peter same guy, right? Same guy who God used to be able to heal this one man. He has an interesting phrase that years later he says. In 1 Peter, he writes this to Christians later on, again, trying to feed them, helping them to understand the truth. He says he, meaning Jesus, he himself, he bore our sins on his body on a tree, which is a cross. Jesus, he's just kind of, re, you know, giving them that memory, right? The truth. Jesus paid for the penalty of our sins on the cross. Jesus took Oh, the ultimate trauma. Everything that has happened, and I don't know if you've ever processed that. Do you guys know that what happened to Jesus on the cross was more than just nails going into his body and, and, and a crown of thorns in his head? On the cross, Jesus stood and was punished by God the Father as if he had done everything you and I have ever done. Any, the, anybody who has lived in history, all of their bad deeds... Jesus was punished like if he had done all of it. But not just what the things that we did. But guys, here's the thing that you got to understand as well. It's the things that have happened to us. The trauma, the, the words, the actions of other people that have forever scarred us and, and shaped us, changed us. Jesus took it all. He didn't become it. He was punished as if he did it. Okay? He was punished as if he, as if he did it. And here's the reason. So that what? Why did Jesus die on the cross? Why did he have to do those things for us? Why did he have to be punished for our sins? Peter is telling us blatantly. He bore our sins on his body, on the tree, on the cross. So that in order to, this right here, having died to sins, we might do what? Live. That we may live for righteousness, for by his wounds we are healed. And when he says died to sin, he's talking about us now, guys. See, Jesus died for our sins. And now you and I, you know what he asked us to do? Is to die to them. Not physically go through death, but to die to them is literally to say, Lord, I know 
I've, I'm, I own up that I am not a perfect person. I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And to die to your sins is to say, Lord, I pass it on. Thank you. I, I, I put it on you. You know, there was a tradition in the temple where God, this was God's idea. Look how beautiful. For some of you, it's going to be a little traumatic and try. I'm sorry, but look how beautiful this image is. God put a sacrificial system in order in the Old Testament to show them, hey, here's the law. If you break the law, you have to commit a sacrifice. Someone has to die, all right? Because that's what it, that God being holy God, there has to be a penalty. And apparently the penalty of sin was death. Someone had to die, but then God instituted a sacrificial system of animals to say that the animal could die for your sins, but you still live. Now, did the animal do anything to deserve that? So this is an innocent animal that is dying and being punished for someone else's sins. And you know what the individual would have to do right before they hand over the sacrifice to the priest? Check this out. They would end up bowing down and they would put their forehead to the other forehead of the animal and just... Because it was like saying, I'm transferring all of my sins to you. Guys, when we put our trust in Jesus, we are putting ourselves at the foot of the cross and saying, Lord, I deserve to be where you are, but you willingly, lovingly took my spot. And so, Jesus, okay. And I transfer. That is what it means to die to our sins. But here's the good part, that when we die to our sins, why? Now we can do what? We can live. And he actually says to live for what? To live for righteousness is, listen, is to live for God. There is nothing more righteous than who he is. And so now we have the ability to live no longer for ourselves, not for our glory. Now we get to live for him. We get to live for something bigger and better that is, it is incomparable to anything else. This is what we have. We can live for righteousness. Why? Because by his wounds we are healed. He literally just remixed what he, this is a remix of this statement. And he's quoting Isaiah. Isaiah said this hundreds of years before Jesus died on the cross. By his wounds, we know what that is. Jesus on the cross. We are healed. Let me ask you a question. Healed from what? Because this is the one that we like to quote a lot. There's a lot of times people like to quote, oh, if you're sick in the house, if you're this, if you're that, if you've got a situation, well, hey, by his wounds, we are healed. So receive healing in Jesus' name today. Is that what this means? Ultimately, it's kind of like a yes and a no. By his wounds, we are healed. How? Is this a guaranteed promise that, hey, you have a promise, a guarantee by God that because Jesus died on the cross, that you should always be healthy? Is that the promise that we have in Christ? No, that is not. But a lot of people, we push it sometimes. And then there's some people who think, and if you're not healed, it's because A, you have sin, or B, you're not believing. Is this what this means? See, here's the thing. When Isaiah saw it, Peter understood, and Aeneas and everybody else in town saw the healing was not a guarantee of physical healing. The, the healing was a spiritual one, that we could be healed by sin itself, the damaging effects of sin and darkness and wickedness. That is an immediate healing that is for all of us. It's for all of us. Now, can God heal you physically today? Yes. But do you know how many times I see Christians who get sick? They get better and get sick again. They, die, they get cancer and die. Did that person just end up not believing? 
What happened to them? Is that person not? No. See, by his wounds, we are spiritually healed perfectly forever. But also, I want you to know that that healing, some, it, it is both now and not yet. And so this is meant to be encouraging to you. Anybody had surgery before online? Let us know. Have you ever had surgery? Anybody like major surgery? I've had to, I've, I've gotten to do rehab before. They required rehab. Anybody ever had to do surgery to do rehab or gotten injured and had to do rehab? Some people online, let me know. Well, I had to do something similar. I got really sick one time. I had a muscle that had a, a staph infection and it was always contracted. And so like my, uh, literally my right leg was just Okay, just dangling. Like I couldn't, it was excruciating pain to be able to move it. So I had to spend a whole week in a hospital just getting pumped with meds. So I was healed of my disease. A week later, I was healed of the staph infection. But I still had to deal with the ramifications of it. You, you, you feeling me? So then I had to literally learn to walk all over again. This My oldest, who's in the back today, uh, he's 12 now. Um, he learned to walk on my old man walker because I had to go for a few months on a wheelchair. I couldn't do things for myself. My wife had to help me. She's a champ, a hero and a half. And so I had to go from a wheelchair to literally, I'm 20-something with a, you know, with, with a walker. I'm dealing with that. That's how he learned how to walk with my walker playing around, just being all silly. And then I had to go from a cane. I thought, I ain't gonna lie, that was pretty cool. Just kind of walk around like that for a little bit. And so like, and purposefully, like, because I needed to, but I needed a cane. It took me like, almost a year in order that I can like jog and do something normal again. So was I healed when I got out of the hospital? Yes or no? I was healed from the staph infection, but I needed some long-term healing to be able to restore that function. Guys, I want you to know that, listen, this man was healed, what? When did he say? When he believed, what did he do? He immediately got up. But do you know what? His body was great for that moment, but then he had to now learn, okay, uh, I can't depend on people anymore. I need to figure out how I'm gonna live my life. What am I gonna do for a job? What am I gonna do for, y'all processing that? He was healed immediately, but then now there was things that he had to do to kind of like into this new life. Guys, when you come to Christ and when you ask him to forgive you of your sins because you recognize you are desperate for it, you are healed immediately from that. The stain of sin and hell is gone. And when Christ looks at you and God the Father looks at you, he sees you as he sees Jesus. Perfect. But are you perfect in that moment? Say with me. No. Okay, you're not. There's still a process of growing and developing. There's spiritual rehab that you have to go through. This is, guys, okay, this is what you're doing. You are in a rehab center right now. Okay, this is a spiritual rehab center. Why do we come every week in order to do this? I had to go to a rehab every week to do, and sometimes it hurt. They would touch some areas, and I'm like, ah, bro, chillax. I mean, her bony fingers, man, would go all the way down. And so it's like, that hurt. And putting me in positions and stuff. And listen, I know sometimes I have to bring truth out here that I know it's going to hurt you. Do you know why? Because God's word is, is salt. It's light. And have you ever put salt on a wound? Salt stings. It hurts, doesn't it? But isn't it, trying to, isn't it healing you at the same time? When you put salt on a wound, it hurts. But it's actually healing you. So I try to make sure to bring as much salt and grass as possible out here for y'all. And I know some of this is going to hurt because you have to think or be, but at the same time, God is healing your soul. That's what he did. And so this is what he has. There's, there's for some of us, 
God may save you and then we, he may have to process still on your pride and your selfishness. And that's a process that will go from here to eternity. So don't feel bad, guys, if you if haven't arrived yet. Because guess what? I haven't either. But that's the beauty of it, that there's no condemnation in Christ. That our healing is not only now, but it is ongoing. And we know and we have the guarantee that our healing will be perfect. Our healing will be perfect because Jesus himself said that one day when he returns, we sang about it today, that when he returns, all who have put their trust and confidence in him, he says, I will wipe away every tear from your eye. Pain and death and sickness will be no longer, and you will be forever together with him. So guys, the thing what we're seeing here is that, listen, God has the power to heal us from the sin that paralyzes us. He has the ability to heal us from the sin that paralyzes us. And like I said a minute ago, maybe some of you, right, you, you went through something in your life. I guarantee you today it has marked you even to this day. I think we all have something. And some of us have buried it down so deep we forgot about it. We've gotten numb. Well, be careful because I think my God might, uh, might want to expose that today or in the next couple of days in order to help you, to help you to see. Because listen, he has the power to heal us from the things that paralyzes us. And what's so beautiful about that, guys, is that not only can God bring that immediate healing, that ongoing healing, for God's power is so great that not only does it overcome the power of sin, but do you know that one day God is going to set us free from the very presence of sin? That sin, we won't even feel it. It won't even be on the radar anymore. The things that we all hate about, God, about the world, about ourselves, guys, it's going to be gone forever. That's going to be one day. Until then, we have this amazing truth. This is what happened. And we see that God has the ability to be able to heal us from the things that paralyzes us. And so I want you to ask yourself this question. We're all, all of us can be an Ananias, Ananias in this story. And in fact, we can't be like the people of Sharon and Lydda, who they realized, I need something for God to do in my life. If he could reverse the irreversible, if he, what we thought was permanent, is now, you know, possible to change. I have, my soul is broken. His body was broken, but my soul is broken. My, my heart is broken. Can you heal me, Jesus? And he did. Listen, I want you to think about this for a minute. Now, what paralyzes you? For us, it could be a lot of different things. Maybe the thing that paralyzes you could be something now. It could be connected to something in the past. Maybe it's fear. Maybe fear paralyzes you today. Maybe it's a fear of failure paralyzes you because you have, there was something in the past that maybe one time you failed so royally that you hurt people that you loved and you're afraid to do it again. That was one that I had. I had failed the people and hurt the people that I loved so much. I had a fear of failure because I didn't want to do that again. And that would paralyze me, that, that shaped me, that, 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 that hurt me in, in a way. Maybe for some of us, you're, it's anxiety. It's, it's worry. Maybe it's just, you know, you're afraid of committing the same mistakes that maybe your parents did or, or this or that. There's a lot of things that paralyzes us. Again, maybe it was something that somebody said to you long ago. Maybe it was something that somebody did to you. We all have things that can paralyze us, change us. And we don't have that same smile anymore, right? We, we don't have that same zest for life because something traumatic happened. As believers, let me tell you, this can happen to us too. We can, you know, we can be stuck and focused if we linger too long. But then we have to remember again, God has the power to heal me from what paralyzes me. 
meaning that it does not have final say. I may have fear from time to time, but fear does not have me because my God has me. Do you see that? So we can, I may have anxiety. I may have these moments and struggle, but I know that my God has me and he is helping me to be able to even work through it, to know, because again, he has the power to heal me, not just physically, but ultimately the point of the is it was spiritually. He can has the power to heal your soul. And so I want you to process that and think, is there something that is paralyzing you today that keeps you up at night or that you have a struggle with and you just went, am I ever going to get over this? Is it ever going to get better? You know, maybe for some of us it's parenting fails or, or this or that. Like, hey, I, can I overcome this shame? Can I overcome this regret? And because of it, it's affecting the way you live and think. And you just want to know, can I walk again? Can I live again? Can I hope again? Can I trust again? Well, that healing is possible. All of these things, listen, I understand. Those things are powerful and they have shaped you and they shape us because they are powerful. But they're not better and more powerful than God. Because the only thing permanent in this world, the most permanent thing in the world is the promises and the power of God. And what God changes, the enemy cannot unchange. That's how powerful he is. And so I want you to think about that and process that because you know what? Your healing can be now, but also it's ongoing because the Lord wants you to be able to trust and know and see you need a savior, guys. You don't need a physician, if that makes sense. Jesus died on the cross, not just so he can be your doctor and heal you of all of your things. Jesus didn't die on the cross and do all these things. No, because you needed a savior for your soul. And what he does there at the root cannot be undone by the enemy. He has no reach and claim on God's people when you trust and call in his name. The healing is not only is it present, it is now, it is ongoing, and it is permanent. And what God is going to do, he will do forever. And so it just reminds me of just this song in that in Christ, we have a hope that heals us even through our hurt. And there's a classic hymn that says, what can wash away my sins? And another verse, what can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I want you to be able to process now and respond. Ask yourself that question, what is paralyzing you? Could it be fear? Could it be insecurity, anxiety? Could it just be you struggling with, again, insignificance? There's so many things that can paralyze us, even as believers. One of the things that can paralyze us the most is when we misunderstand and misapply God's word. So I want to ask yourself, what is paralyzing you? What questions are you wrestling with? What are things, what, what trauma or, or things have you experienced or are you doing, are you experiencing right now? I want you to ask yourself, what is fueling my feelings? And then I want you to take an honest look at God because he has the power to heal you. And by that, I mean heal you mentally, spiritually, emotionally. And what, what I mean about that is, again, there is a instant healing. There meaning the beginning of the process. But I want you to understand it's also a process. Okay. It is also a process. It is ongoing as the spirit will continue to mold and shape you into the image of Christ. 
and that healing will be complete and perfect in God's timing. But in the end, know that God is mighty. He is strong enough. He is enough. I pray that you may surrender all of those things and allow his hand to work in your life. Revolve your mind around the truth that he has the power to heal you from what paralyzes you. It is not permanent because God's power is greater.